Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here for another crossover episode, the fourth on the Orioles, who are going through a very exciting stretch now as we record this uh, on the afternoon of the 26th of May. They've just won five out of six on the road against the Yankees, and Toronto couldn't really have gone much better on the road. Joining me to talk about the Orioles' minor league system now is Bob Phelan of the Oriole Report. Bob, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. Thanks for having me on. So happy to uh, uh, to have you here. Uh, a big name in terms of Oriole prospect watching. You're at the Oriole Report, and that's no S in there, the Oriole Report on Twitter, correct? That's right. And you can follow the podcast at BSL on the Verge as well. All right. Outstanding. On the Verge, certainly really well known. Uh, the Elias rebuild now really paying fruit, certainly at the major league level. I literally spent minor years, uh, you know, several years hibernating watching MILB and, and going around from game to game every night and being very excited by that, but being much less excited by the major league product until last year. And this is 1989 again, or at least it seems like in a lot of ways uh, this year. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We started our podcast 2020, March 2020, right when the pandemic hit. So we didn't even get any minor league baseball that first year, but we've been watching these guys come up from you know 2020 2021 on and just the talent just kept getting deeper and deeper and rising up and now it's breaking through and you're you're starting to see the dividends that it's paid off yeah it's uh, it really is a um it was a top to bottom kind of pig through the python thing I mean, they had adley rutschman at a higher level he drafted in 2019 obviously was was still uh playing on an alternate site i guess in 2020 but but he was playing and and you could go see him play but then there was the entire group of hitters that all joined at Delmarva at the same year. And, and uh, uh, that pig, that pig in the Python of, of talent moved up level by level. And, uh, and it's very exciting to watch, including Grayson Rodriguez as well there. Yeah. I think it was what Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, mm-hmm. Hudson Haskin, all on the same team, Grayson. Yeah. It was a ton of fun. All right, so now Logjamp of Talent is really a triple A. Uh, it's not to say there isn't some in the low minors. We'll certainly talk through all that. I hope we have Bob for a while here t- today because I'm sure we'll have lots to say. One of the big concerns for the, for the Orioles at the top is the 40-man roster. Can you talk about that a little bit and explain to folks how that works in baseball? We have a, largely a football audience, obviously a very technical one, but, but uh, I think they'd love to hear about that. Yeah, there's um, you know, obviously you have your 26-man roster where it's the active players, but then there's a 40-man roster where that's the players you can pull from in AAA to bring up without having to start their clock. Once you're on the 40-man, your clock starts, and you become a free agent after X amount of years. You get more expensive after X amount of years hitting arbitration, but to the minor leaguers, once you, I think it's college draftees. College draftees, you have three years after the draft, to be put on the 40-man or else you'll be exposed to the Rule 5, mm-hmm. which obviously Orioles fans should be familiar with that. That's how we got Anthony Santander and Tyler Wells. Um, and a high school players and international players, I think it's five years after they are signed or drafted. So, yeah, once a player's on the 40-man roster, they can come up and down as the team sees fit as long as they have options. And, uh, yeah, I think if you're a minor leaguer, that's the first step. And, like, you want to be on that 40-man roster so you're an option to be with the major league team. Okay. And being on the 40 man roster then protects that player as well from being taken off the, off the team. Meaning he can't, he can't be obviously he's protected from that, but then there's also a six year minor league free agent rule. Is that correct? There's a second one. Yeah. Um, after a certain amount of time, probably is six years. I, I might've been updated with the CBA. I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. yeah, then a uh, team or the players can opt out of that organization and, and sign with whoever they want. Mm-hmm. It's Once something, they're on the 40 man, they are with 
the Orioles for the foreseeable future. So, something they'd been discussing for a while was whether or not there should just be a free agent age, like at age 27, that a player sort of automatically become. Uh, I know that's been discussed in, in previous CBA talks. Um, okay. So I always used to get excited about this, even if it was only John Shelby they were bringing up back at looking at the 82 pennant race uh, for, for the Orioles. Uh, I used to be excited about what players the Orioles could bring up and that they had prospects that seemed to be able to help the team. Of course, you know, my, my breadth of understanding about the other teams at that point was not really great, but it does seem in particular, like with the, the incredible year Norfolk's had, the, the type of players they have at AAA, this could be a very good September for call-ups. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they only added two. You can't just bring up everybody on the 40-man like you used to be able to in September. They added two extra spots. So it'll be a 28-man roster, but should still help a team like the Orioles who has so much depth in AAA both sides of the ball, pitching and position player-wise. you got prospects and veterans just sitting there raking and, and performing really well and an injury away from getting a shot to, to come up on a second-best team in baseball, according to the win-loss record. That's news to me, by the way, with the 28-man roster. Do they, do they change the number of pitchers you have available so you can go to seven to, or sorry, 15 instead of 13, say? It might be 14 and 14, if I'm not okay. mistaken. 14 and 14. All right. Uh, let's talk about this Norfolk team because it is absolutely ta- talent laden. A lot of comparisons made to the 1970 Rochester team. And for my money, uh, we can talk about both a little bit, but that, that 1970 team is, is well noted for having Gritch for half a year who hit something like 370. And Don Baylor was on that team for the entire year, only had 20 at bats with the Orioles. And, and he still was forced to play another year at AAA after that, despite, you know, having, he had 15 triples. He had a bunch of other things going on, you know, a huge season he had in 1970, but they had a ton of 4A talent on that team too. Roger Freed, who would later play at the Phillies and a bunch of other players. Despite all of that untrained eye here, it appears to me this current Orioles Norfolk roster is even better. Yeah, it's pretty good. And it sounds like 1970 had a, the good problem of depth that we're starting to run into now as Orioles fans, where it's like they're ready to come up, but where do you bring them up and play them? I guess you got talented players at the major leagues as well. But yeah, I guess Colton Kowser, Jordan Westberg, Connor Norby, those guys kind of lead the list as far as top name guys in AAA. And then obviously Joey Ortiz, Kyle Stowers have been up and down. Same with Taron Vavra. Hudson Haskin got off to a great start. He's on the injured list. Should be back soon. But you also have guys like Daz Cameron, Lewin Diaz, Josh Lester, who are just killing the ball. And Ryan O'Hearn, when he's not been with the Orioles at the major league level, he's been down there hitting really well. So, yeah, hitting-wise, it's been fantastic. And pitching-wise, you got Theo Hall, Drew Rahm, Noah DeNoyer, who are all guys on the 40-man roster. Some veterans like Cole Irvin, Bruce Zimmerman, Spencer Watkins, Keegan Aikens down there now. And just some depth when it comes to relievers, a bunch of guys that were signed on minor league deals who have some potential if they can, you know, player development the the way they have with Felix Bautista and Yanir Cano. They have a penchant now for turning guys who can't throw strikes into uh, monsters, apparently. So we'll see if that continues. That, that has been unbelievable in terms of those two transformations in particular to, to shore up the back end of your bullpen with two of them. Uh, let, let's start with the kind of the four A players because to me, you know, you gotta you gotta stratify this. I'm a huge uh, uh, whatever you want to call it Nazi about about wanting to make sure that young hitters um, who are good make the major leagues early. That you lose important development time. I'm a big believer in failing forward. So these four A players are guys who've been around the minor leagues for a while. Some of them were were brought on from other organizations and they've certainly provided some stuff, including at the major league level in O'Hearn's case, but O'Hearn is 29 years old and I don't have the age on the exact of the guys. I think Diaz might be 26. Cameron might be 27 and Lester might be 28. If that's not exact, it's, it's pretty close. Yeah. Um, that sounds about right. And, and, and those guys are all killing the ball, but their prospects now, when you look at a, at a hitter who's 26 or 27 at AAA, they're already spending their prime in the minor leagues. Yeah, exactly. These are guys that, you know, they're there because if there's an injury and you need someone and one of your big prospects isn't ready, these guys have proven at least track record of performing at the major league level. It's fine if they come up and they sit on the bench for five or six days a week and only get in here and there, pinch hit something like that. 
and you're not like wasting development. Like you said, you don't want to bring up Jordan Westberg and have him play two days a week. That's not doing anybody any good. So these guys are here for, for the, those reasons. And you're seeing it with Ryan O'Hearn. He had a OPS over 1100 in AAA in whatever time he had with four doubles, a triple four home runs. And he had that big hit in Toronto that mm-hmm. came back and tied the game up and they ultimately won that game and swept that series. So these guys have value, even if it's not exciting to uh, say, oh, Daz Cameron's coming up for, for a couple days while Ryan McKenna's hurt or whatever the example is. Yeah, it's uh, O'Hearn's uh, lifetime of highlights, obviously, in the in the couple of weeks or two, three weeks he's been up uh, with the team this year. Now, I kind of look at 4A pitchers as being in a different class. And the reason is that just you use these amoeba bullpens today where you're bringing up you know, two new pitchers per week to get through the end of ball games. And the Orioles have, you know, have, have gone, have had decent depth from their starting rotation, not bad at all, but they still need a lot of bullpen innings and they want quality bullpen innings. And that means their optionable players are going up and down. Like, can you explain, first of all, explain that concept a little bit and then, and then we'll get into the individuals. Yeah. So when a player is put on the 40 man roster, they come with three option years. Uh, a lot of people think options means like you can only be sent down and brought up three times. No, it's option years. You can be, well, now the new rule is no more than five times in one year, but say Cole Irvin was optioned out of the rotation earlier this year, that uses an option year. So just say that was his first one, then he's got two more. And if you're optioned in three years, then you can, you would have to be designated for assignment and be up to be claimed off of waivers by another team. If you're not claimed, then you can go down to the minors and if that happens twice you can refuse a minor league assignment and become a free agent but that's getting on a little deep there <laughs> but that's pretty much the gist of it no it's it's great information um a lot of times people will kind of overstate that risk of losing either of two players a dfa player or or a rule five player maybe speak for what's your what's your feeling about that in terms of a dfa player in particular but we'll start with that yeah, it's interesting. Like uh, Joey Crable, he was a guy that pitched out of the bullpen last year, started, especially in the first half, did pretty well. And then he was, he, if this was uh, 2021 or 2020, he would have definitely made the bullpen. But because we are pretty deep now, we have some talented guys. He just missed the cut, was sent to the minors. And then I can't remember exactly who it was for. Maybe it was, gosh, it was for a waiver claim, maybe, or another guy they brought up that had to be added to the 40-man roster, but he was DFA'd and they tried to sneak him through waivers just because just because you're DFA doesn't mean the team doesn't like you anymore, but if they think they can pass you through and still keep you in the organization, then that's even better and adds to the depth. And luck, mm-hmm. luckily enough, he was no team claimed him, so he's still in, in AAA Norfolk, but he's no longer on the 40-man roster. So those 40-man roster spots are precious is what we're, what we're kind of getting on. And if you're not on the 40-man roster also, then you're subject to that Rule 5 draft, as you mentioned earlier. And I think in the last 15 years, the Orioles have made a lot of claims and had some players at the major league level, most of whom didn't work out, but some of whom have, notably in, in Santander and Wells. Um, they've, they've had a lot of players. Uh, they've only lost one player that entire time, I believe, Zach Pop, right? Yeah, and that was a sore spot for me because I really liked him as a uh, power-throwing reliever with a good sinker who was coming off Tommy John. So it was a little bit of risk there. They didn't protect him. He ultimately got selected, and he's been decent. Uh, probably not as good as I thought he could have been, but, yeah, that's the only one that made me scratch my head. Like, why would you let this guy go? But ultimately not that big of a deal. And the Rule 5 rules are a little strange. You, If they, if you take a guy off Rule 5 and you, you have to keep him in the major leagues for the whole year, I believe, and if you don't, then you have to offer him back to the old team at half of the value you bought him for? Yeah, I think when you draft him – you spend $50,000 in order to draft him. And yeah, if he doesn't make it the whole year, then you offer him back for 25000 uh, But also another team, he has to go through waivers as well. So another team could claim that Rule 5 pick and take on the responsibility of keeping him on their major league roster all year. And also I think like Anthony Santander, he was on the injured list for a chunk of his first year when he was Rule 5 eligible so the following year he had to stay on the roster i forget exactly but x amount of days to make up for that in order to keep him and obviously they did 
Interesting. Okay, so lost uh, uh, lost IL time. I did not know that nuance is is then has to be made up the next the next year, and it's it's a one for one basis on those days. I don't know if it's one for one, or it might be. Let's say there's 172 games in a major days in a major league season. Say mm-hmm. it might be like 160, or there's yeah. a there's a number somewhere. I don't know exactly what it is, but yeah. Okay, fascinating. I, I did I did not know that part. And just to be clear on that, order of operations is. Offer back to the team. They can pay the half amount, whether it's 50 or 25, take that player back, and then he does not go through waivers. Or if he if he is rejected by the former team, then he goes through waivers. I actually think it's the waivers first, and then okay. if he clears waivers, then he's offered back. Good. This is great to know. I, re- I really appreciate you setting me straight on that. A lot of these rules are – there's. I, I go, I'm sure they're out there as concise ways where they're all described, but I appreciate you uh, educating me a little on this. <laughs> So let's get back to the 4A pitchers a little bit because they're a very interesting group with this team because you got a lot of guys on the margin who could help the Orioles, and it's a large group. So we're not talking D.L. Hall right now. D.L. Hall, is it's going to be a big decision. He's already on the 40-man roster You know when they bring him into the major leagues. But uh, Cole Irvin, Spencer Watkins, Zimmerman, um, Ryan Watson is now on the 40-man, right? So he's he in, in theory, he's more of a decision like Hall in terms of when you bring him up, I guess. Uh, Vespi, Aiken, Gillespie, uh, Gillespie, this is and Crable. Um, did I miss anyone? Is another starter? Um, I actually think, uh, no, Denoyer is the one that's on the 40 man roster. Ryan Watson, I think, is eligible next year. Okay. Um, there's Duram as well, although I guess he's not a 4A guy. He's a prospect. Quite yet. Um, there's a couple minor league signings, probably no starters, but. You got like Edward Bizardo, Darwin's and Hernandez, Reed Garrett, or Freddy Gomez. There's are some interesting minor league signings that are still sticking around in AAA. Okay, and just a, an incredible pool, effectively a secondary bullpen there for the Orioles to bring them up when they have. I mean, we we don't really have these marathon games anymore where you play 16 innings in Major League Baseball. Of course, the Orioles have had some notable ones in the past, but um, even an 11 inning game is fairly rare these days. Uh, most extra inning games usually end in the 10th. There's an enormous home team advantage with the way the rules are currently set with this ridiculous runner on second. By the way, I hate that. I don't know about you. I just, I can't stand it. I don't yeah. hate it as much as a lot of people do. <laughs> I mean, if it was in the playoffs, I would not like that, but at least mm-hmm. they, they go back to traditional rules in the playoffs, but I don't mind it as far as just time of game and I'm getting old, so I gotta gotta get to bed early, you know. <laughs> He's literally probably half my age, so let's talk about this. But anyway, uh, let's let's now get to the fun part here. Talk through some of these top prospects at AAA, and let's start with Colton Kowser and and kind of describe the kind of season he had to date. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who actually got off to a slow start the first week or two. I think people were saying, "Oh no, he's." He's striking out a lot again. He's he's batting 100, 114 or 125 or whatever it was early on. And then he got red hot and never slowed down until, unfortunately, he ended up on the seven-day IL with a quad injury. Hopefully nothing too serious. Doesn't sound like it. But currently he's batting 331 with an OPS over 1,000, 43 runs, eight doubles, a triple, seven home runs, 28 RBIs, 35 walks, mm-hmm. and five stolen bases. So can pretty much do everything. Excuse me. Um, he can play center field. I think he has a chance to stick there. I don't know, you know, with this team and Mullins out there, how realistic that is. But in a, in a, you know, general sense of things, he could play center field. But this big left field could be a yeah. nice guy to have out there at home at Camden Yards. But his strikeout rate is lower than it was at any point last year, 22.3%. I'd say anything under 25% is pretty good uh walk rate is 19.6 percent which is incredibly good that's yeah. like if you think adley and gunner have good eyes at the plate Cowser's right there with them if not better and yeah he's a five tool player it seems like uh they really developed the power well out of him he was known as kind of a slap hitter when they drafted him with some power potential they've definitely added some power to his frame he has a 223 isolated or iso isolated slugging percentage mm-hmm. Anything over 140 is above average, so pretty good. Uh, isolated power, uh, s- slugging minus batting average. It's 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 what used to be extra bases on long hits. I don't think they use that term anymore, but they used to call it for Hank Aaron and whatnot when he had a long streak going. Extra bases on long hits divided by at-bats. Exactly. Uh, so 
in in the case of uh, Kowser, very very exciting player. Another left-handed bat, and and this is one of the things about this lineup is a lot of the prospects are left-handed. Uh, Stowers would be another uh, in this group that I I still view as a prospect. I know a lot of people are are like, well, he's graduated into the four A ranks. I I don't believe that yet. Um, in in Kowser's case. And with the way that major league bullpens are currently set, most teams have a left-hander. Most teams can get a left-hander for a series if they're facing the Orioles. And then you run into the problem that the three batter minimum, where it used to mean you brought your, your, your loogie into left-handed one out relief guy um, into face one batter who is a big opposing left-hander. Now it's, you really look for a series of three batters that includes two left-handers. Yeah, exactly. That uh, that new rule, guys like Buddy Groom, Jesse Orozco, they would have hated that rule. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's interesting, especially with the way they pu- pushed left field back. What do you know? We got a bunch of left-handed hitting uh, uh, hitting prospects who can pull the ball in the short scoreboard in right field. So kind of uh, seemed like there was a plan there somewhere yeah. along the lines. It's it's definitely I, I, there's a great story about this, and you've probably heard it in your years in baseball, and whatnot, but. Um, Charlie Finley, when the whole, uh, when he owned the A's originally in Kansas city, uh, they, they had heard, he, he had heard an interview. I think it was with Ed Lopat talking about the Yankees success had to do, you, you heard the story already it had to do with, with basically the shape of their ballpark had a lot to do with it. They had a cavernous left field at Yankee stadium and a short porch in right field, and they could they could build their ball club very well to build the, to, to fit their ballpark. And obviously, there's there's a lot more that goes into it than just that. They had you know left-handed pull hitters who could really take advantage of that stadium. But the story gets a lot better because Finley said, "Well, I'll tell you what, we're changing our stadium to be exactly the same dimensions as Yankee Stadium, and you can't tell us no because Yankee Stadium is here." Well, they could tell them no because beginning in 1958, you had to have your dimensions approved for the outfield. So anyway, they, 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 this was, I think it was in 1964 that Finley wanted to do this in Kansas City. So instead of, of having the um, uh, park changed, which the National League, which the American League blocked, um, and they would also had to move, they would have had to take over some street in left field to get the dimensions as deep. As they, as they were, this is, Bill James tells the story a lot, a lot better than I do, obviously. But anyway, they, they 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 weren't allowed to do it. So instead, he marked a chalk line or a line all, exactly where the stadium outfield walls would have been at Yankee Stadium had they been allowed to change it. And the PA announcer was instructed to tell the tell the fans that ball would have been a home run at Yankee Stadium every time a ball was hit outside of that line. And what this as the story goes, the practice ended when the Minnesota Twins hit five home runs in an inning, and they were only the second team ever to do that at the time. But they had five home runs in an inning, and then the last ball Earl Batty hit uh, was was would have been a home run at Yankee Stadium. And the announcer, you know, said that ball would have been a home run at Yankee Stadium, and they discontinued the practice the next day. It's just one of my favorite baseball stories. It's pretty good. <laughs> so uh let's get let's get back to uh uh Kowser a little bit anything else about um wanting to hold him at triple a at this point and not get him to the major leagues because one thing that comes to mind is he's proven to me everything he's he's basically proven everything he can do at triple a would it make sense if you can at least get him a standardized platoon role to come to the major leagues and play yeah, I definitely think he's going to be another guy that's better against right-handed pitching. But I actually think he, he might have a pretty good OPS against lefties, specifically this year, obviously small sample size. But I think I, I'm curious what would have happened if he didn't go down with that quad injury. We might have already seen him up here by now, but I don't think it's going to be too long. I think once he's healthy and can get back to you know full speed, I would imagine he could take the – the Kyle Stowers, Taron Vavra, or even Ryan McKenna role. And just, you know, like you said, with Anthony Santander could play first base DH a little bit more, get him in left field, spacious left field, move Austin Hayes with his, his cannon for an arm and right. And yeah, I think he could probably play against right-handed pitching most nights. And I'm looking for a splits here to see if I can get this left-right split there. Um yeah, he's actually hitting 320 versus left-handers this year and and slugging at a higher level. That's completely different from the rest of his minor league careers when he's had a lot of trouble with lefties uh, prior. 
but I would love to see him. And, and you know, it's like got to be a confidence builder anyway to face right-handers mostly when you first come to the major leagues. I think that would be a, a, a good thing. And then we could see if he's if he's the everyday player that they that they hope he is. Let's move on to um, uh, Westberg, uh, if we can or not, a guy who is absolutely killing AAA. He's actually cooled off a little bit recently. Yeah, it's going to be hard to justify keeping him down too much longer. Elias has noted that he's knocking on the door. Yeah, I would say so. I think he's got like, uh, let's see, combined here, over 600, over 600 plate appearances at AAA between last year and this year, and pretty consistent, uh, really good numbers. Uh, 129 WRC plus last year and 135 this year, 10.5% walk rate. 22% strikeout rate, 30 home runs between the two seasons combined. So, yeah, power hitting infielder who can play shortstop, but probably not going to stick there, can play there in a pinch. Third base, second base, he's pretty good. He's got a pretty strong, accurate arm. He's athletic. He could, he's been He's played left field and right field a couple times of late where they're trying to just see if he can handle it in case they want to bring him up and – and get him in the lineup somehow, but he hits the ball very hard, very often. He's a pull hitter. There's some swing and miss to his game, kind of like Kyle Stowers, but I wouldn't say quite as bad. He's almost like, to me, I compare him to an infield version of Austin Hayes, where he will probably walk a little bit more than Hayes, but just aggressive, hits the ball really hard, but definitely will swing and miss on occasion. Now, first thing that you have to kind of consider when a, when a player like this is brought up is how much is he going to lose to Camden Yards? Yeah, it is a good question. Like we said, with that new left field getting pushed back, it's one of the hardest parks to hit a home run poolside for a right-handed hitter, and that's where most of his power is. So I still think if, I mean, he hits the ball 106 miles per hour, it seems like every time he touches it. Um, mm-hmm. So I can imagine maybe he loses a couple home runs, maybe gains a a few extra doubles, but hopefully it doesn't hurt him too much, but it is something to keep in mind for sure. All right. Uh, Westberg, uh, uh, you know, with the incredible proliferation of infield um, prospects the Orioles have, they've still had a little bit of trouble keeping guys healthy at the minor league level. So Arias is hurt, Ortiz is up, and and all of a sudden they had to go outside the organization to get a shortstop, this Glenn Dinning guy. Don't know anything about him at this point. No, I don't know much about him either, to be honest with you. And they actually signed another uh, infielder to a minor league contract. I think it's just they're just taking some filler spots until they conclude that Cesar Prieto is ready to come up. And they'll just have someone there because, I mean, obviously Westberg is pretty close. They could bring him up at at any point and and justify adding him. He's not on the 40-man roster either yet, so that's why it would take a little bit extra of a move, and that's probably why Ortiz got the shot first before him because he already was on the 40-man roster. But, yeah, interesting to say the least. A lot of injuries right now, especially in the outfield. Haskin, Kowser, and Stowers went down uh, this past week as well. So, Mm -hmm. depth. Uh, Haskin is a guy I don't really have on either list as a 4A player or really a prospect. I'm a little bit down on him as a prospect, but if you've got a contrary opinion to that, I'd love to hear it. I don't think you're wrong. I think he's... I mean, he's he's good. I think he's underrated. We have him. I, I personally have him as the sixteenth best prospect in the system. Wow. Um, I think he is a better version of Ryan McKenna. I don't think he's probably going to start in the outfield for the Orioles, especially with the talent they already have, and plus Kerstad's on the way, Kowser. So I think he's he's Ryan McKenna defensively. He's got speed as well. He can hit a little bit better. He's got a little bit more power. So he's just, I don't know. That's a valuable player. Probably a little underrated just from general fan consensus. But that that's what I see him being is uh, Ryan McKenna. You're not mad when he's in the lineup. Uh, Hudson Haskin is what age now? Is he 24? I believe so. He was in the 2020 draft. So he might be 23. Let's see. 24. You're, you're okay. correct. All right, so we get to that point where he's too old to be in AAA. And one of the things I've had to kind of adjust my expectations for is that the COVID years have kind of messed up people's development. And being a year older is probably okay now, but we're getting to the point where it's not okay. It's been three years since COVID. Even with that bubble coming through, it should players should be back on track pretty much right now. And there are exceptions to that, like Heston Kerstad, who um, I 
believe maybe 24 already at this point, but, but he's, he had a, a big detour for health reasons. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the thing with Haskin is he doesn't, he has like an average walk rate, but he gets hit by a lot of pitches. He's got an awkward stance, crowds the plate. So that helps his on base percentage. He's going to strike out probably 22 to 25% in the major leagues consistently been 20%. Save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty-nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty-nine a pound all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger less than five miles away or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Better than average at every stop. And in AAA, he got off to a, a really hot start over 56 plate appearances with the 195 WRC plus 1152 OPS. High BABIP, so that wasn't going to continue. But I wouldn't give up on him just yet. Okay, we got to explain a few of these stats as we go. Batting average ball in play in particular, a statistic you want to look at to see is a player um, uh, able to sustain that is the way I look at it. The big, the big guy on the major league roster is actually not a, not a hitter. It's a pitcher. Uh, Cano's batting average ball in play is, is not sustainable. So as he continues to give up even ground balls, more are going to get through the infield than have so far to date. So, uh, uh, you know, that number will not be as good if, 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 if Yenna Cano is, is to get even better or to maintain a portion of, of what he's done, um, his strikeout rate would really need to improve. Yeah, exactly. And I think for a hitter, around 300 is going to be your average batting average for ball in play. If you're faster, it could get it could go higher. Like if you have a 340 Babbitt, but you're Jorge Mateo, that makes a little bit more sense. Uh, and if you're slower, it's going to be a little bit lower typically. So, yeah. The, the guys who hit the ball harder, too, you would be, you know, it's, if he's got a higher exit velocity than normal or a higher line drive rate, you would also expect that that player could have, could be able to maintain a higher Babbitt. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So we, we've talked a little bit about Westberg and, and Kowser. They're both quite close. A guy who's not nearly as close and, and really I don't think has proven his AAA pedigree yet is, is Connor Norby. Talk about a little, a little bit about him as a prospect. Yeah, Norby, he's a guy... The difference between Norby and a bunch of these other guys is, you know, everyone else, Westberg, Henderson, Ortiz, they're at least average, if not above average defenders. Norby, he's got to work to get to average, I'm, I'm going to say, at defense at second base. But the difference is he's he can just flat out rake. If he hits his potential, he's like a, I don't know if he's going to have the power, but like a Jeff Kent type where it's just mm-hmm. like you can put up with a little bit less of defense as long as he's going out there hitting 25 plus home runs and a batting average approaching 300. Uh, last year he got off to a slow start. Like a lot of guys did at Aberdeen. That's a tough part to, to hit in where he had a, uh, 736 OPS over 209 plate appearances, got promoted to Bowie, then had a 960 OPS yeah. over 296 plate appearances with 17 home runs, then went up to triple a, and got 40 plate appearances where he had an OPS over 1,100. So four more home runs ended up, uh, I think, leading the minors, the Orioles players with 29 home runs last year, all combined. This year, he's got off to another slow start, kind of like he did last year, but he's been hot of late. He's batting 277 with a 747 OPS, 14 doubles, and four home runs. But he's just got to get consistent enough with the bat where the defense isn't as important, but he could also move to a left field, first base, DH, right field. Like he's another, the Orioles preach versatility. So I think he's going to be a guy that they'll find a way to, to get his bat in the lineup. How, how much all field power has Norby shown in the minor league level? Is he a guy who can easily reach the Orioles bullpen and left center? Can he get to get out to right field? He's got a lot of power to the middle of the field, right center field, left center field, dead center. He can pull the ball. More so than Westberg, who's Deadpool, he's the guy that can spray his power all over the park. So, yeah, that is another thing that gives him potentially an edge over Westberg when it comes to long-term success as an Oriole. Okay, uh, that's exciting. I'm 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 glad to hear that. Uh, so, you know, obviously, not being a plus defender, given what the Orioles already have, is going to be a consideration in terms of of how they look at players. It's not like 
um, they really have to go to a player with a single uh, marginal characteristic they can accept. The, the Orioles can afford to be very choosy now in terms of obviously who they're who they're playing at the major league level. Kyle Stower is a guy who obviously has had some highlights and some time in the major league levels. He's not he's not ancient or anything, although he might be he might be twenty five this year. Um, he, he's a, a a guy who has a ton of power and has really shown it at the AAA level. There's nothing left to prove there, honestly. Um, it's all about converting that to major league success. What, what you know? How are the Orioles going to find an opportunity for Stowers at this point, or are they almost you know at a point with Cowser also waiting in the wings and others that they might have to trade him? Yeah, I think that's it. I think if this was 2020, 2021, even coming into 2022, this would be perfect for Stowers. He's just a guy that that needs consistent playing time to adjust to the majors. I have no doubt that he could possibly be a similar player to Anthony Santander if he's given the time to figure it out. I just don't think now with the Orioles in a contention window, hopefully a long one, I'm not so sure that they're going to be able to justify giving him the time that it would take. I don't think you can give him 150, 200 plate appearances consistently over a couple months span. And especially because so far, I mean, he's been striking out a lot, not having a lot of success, but it's also short sample size. So he might be a guy they want to trade before his value goes down even more. Hmm. Just because like you said, they got other guys coming up behind him who Kerstad, Kowser, even Haskin, um, who could potentially take on that role. The game has changed a lot since I was a kid. And I grew up with baseball in the 70s, basically. And and the um, the one thing that I, I would pose as the largest difference, and you know, I even stretch back to pre-DH times, but but the uh, the thing that really was different was the roster composition between hitters and pitchers. And it used to be very common for a major league team to have 16 hitters and nine pitchers. That's particularly true of the Orioles because Weaver was a guy who focused a lot of his innings into a relatively few number of pitchers. The effect of that was that the offense always kind of had the last move to make. Why is that? Well, you pinch hit someone, then, you know, pinch hit a left-hander, a left-hander comes in from the bullpen, and then you have another right-hander on the bench. Well, now with the 13-12 makeup, usually being 13 pitchers, right? You 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 don't almost always the last change goes to the to the to the pitching staff. And and that maybe is not as true because we're more careful with relievers than we used to be, but it's definitely a huge shift, a, a seismic shift in terms of of the value of platooning in today's game is definitely less. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the uh, 26-man roster, the rule is you can't have any more than 13 pitchers. So typically, it's going to be 13 and 13. One of your bench players is obviously a backup catcher. So that leaves you with three guys between all the other positions to uh, to play around with. And right now, you see it's Vavra, O'Hearn, and Ortiz. That's a pretty nice mix. But yeah, it's just harder to find time to really uh spread the love around so to speak yeah yeah and and having a a true platoon situation i i don't think there can be any i mean lowenstein renicky may never happen again in the in the in the same kind of extreme way that it did but even a team that that was willing to kind of commit to a a a platoon system it's just harder to do it's it's you know you're using up one of your bench players immediately and um what seems to happen more is the lineup alternation seems to drive opportunities better opportunities for players who might otherwise be platoon players yeah that sounds about right and i actually think i don't know if how much fans have loved it but i do think brandon hyde has been trying to mix and match and play the matchups righty lefty you'll see henderson sit on the bench sometimes against Mm -hmm. a tough lefty ortiz come in and then once a righty comes in pinch hit with gunner henderson and then obviously it worked out the other night when he hit a rbi double down the right field line but um yeah, so I think they're trying, but it's just it's a lot harder these days for sure. All right, so let's continue on. Ortiz, we we've we kind of hit on a little bit. Obviously, he's at the major league level. He's writing his own story right now. Um, uh, where do you expect him to show up? I am a huge Joey Ortiz fan, so, and I think the the organization is as well. The un, obviously, he's a, a magician with the glove between second, shortstop, third base. He can 
if you saw the the play he made last night or the the other night mm-hmm. with a dive at third base, and that's not even a position he plays a ton. Gets up to his feet real quick, explodes a strong throw to first base. He can play the infield as good as anyone. Um, I don't know. Long term, it's tough because you got Jackson Holiday coming up. You have Jorge Mateo, who's obviously a question with the bat, but the glove is is pretty darn good. We know that. You got Gunner. You got a lot of options. I think long term, he might be the everyday second baseman or most day second baseman and then fill in at shortstop and third base when needed. I think his bat is underrated. Um, he hits the ball very hard. He's constantly at the top of the exit velocity leaderboards. He just doesn't loft it particularly much. So I think if they can teach him to lift the ball a little bit more, he could even be a 15, 20 plus homer guy. He's got a lot of power to the opposite field. He just, I've seen him live uh, in the minors a few times, just crush a ball opposite field, dead opposite field. It just flies off the bat over the wall. Um, yeah, I love the guy. Um, I think worst case, he's like a, a really good utility player to, to have around on the infield. Yeah, it's uh, Ortiz is now approaching 25. He'll be 25 in July. So the future is now. There, there's even, even if you could not get him enough at-bats at the major league level, it's too long to leave him in AAA to, to, to send him back down. You need to use him as Vavra if that's the way you need to use him on a, on a very limited basis. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think it's a good sign that they didn't send him right back down the second time they, they brought him up and they, they have kept him around. They've, you know, he's not playing every day, but he's getting some decent playing time. And yeah, I think that says a lot about how they feel about him. He might be 25. He's also a guy that has bulked up significantly. He's bought into the player development, but then he immediately hurt his shoulder in 2021, right when he was looking like he was going to break out and then had a slow start to last year. If you look at his numbers from the second half of last year onward, you'd think, who is this guy that replaced Joey Ortiz in the organization? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's working out. I think uh, the time is now, and uh, I'm hoping he capitalizes on it. Yeah, and it certainly has been a guy who's made consistent progress through the organization. That, that one year at each level that they really like to see uh, you got from Ortiz. Uh, actually, you know, I'd really, as a fan, I'd really like to see half a year from, from players. I, I'd like to see the Jackson Holiday method with as many players as possible. Uh, what do we have on the offensive side of the ball? I think that about does it at the AAA level. It's just an incredible deep roster to have a bunch of top 100 prospects and certainly a bunch of the organization's top prospects in this group. But they got plenty on the on the mound as well. And you start with D.L. Hall, a guy who is um, – there have been struggles, certainly, uh, with his control pretty much throughout his minor league career. Where do you expect him to end up? I think I expect him to end up like a Josh Hader type, who's a multi-inning reliever, but a dominant one, uh, especially when he's on. But I, I'm not quite ready to rule out the chance that he could be a, a Blake Snell type starter where, you know, he's probably not going to give you more than five innings, six at the most, but just pretty dominant when when he is able to get there. Uh, it's it's becoming a little worrisome that he's still in an, in an organization that has done really well with improving control of guys, that he's still having some issues with that. Great point. Um, I know he had a back injury coming into spring training this year, which kind of zapped his velocity a little bit. I think right now they're trying to give him shorter stints to allow him to build that back up in between starts. So hopefully that works out. I don't think I think it's too early to truly judge his season just because of the start he got off to. But Still, still a fan of the arm talent. He's got ridiculous slider, change up. He's got a good curveball. If he can get the velocity back on his fastball, he's four pitch mix. And if you can just throw him in the bullpen and say, look, just throw as hard as you can, throw your best stuff around the middle of the plate, and they won't dare him to hit it. I don't think they're going to more times than not. So I think, worst case, he's a, a either a valuable trade chip or a really good relief arm. Another one. Yeah, another you know left-handed hard thrower. Um, if he had a, a a single down-breaking out pitch, uh, and it would, I guess as a left-hander, it's almost always going to be a slider. You're going to see from from that pitcher could could be something else. But but uh, if if he had a really great down-breaking out pitch, he'd be he'd probably be the guy you'd want as a one-inning relief specialist. And that's you don't really have one-out relief specialist anymore. So it's all one-inning relief specialist with the three-batter rule. Um, who would fit into that left-handed part of the lineup. 
Yeah, I think, God, if they do, if we keep winning, and I don't have any reason to believe that we won't at the major league level, could you imagine if they finally just say, all right, you're the seventh inning guy <laughs> between Cano, Bautista, and him? I mean, that's... That could Exciting. be uh, trouble for some teams at the back end of games. Yeah, you you really need you need more than more than two guys. That's for sure. And the the Orioles are finding that out right now in terms of of you know the the, the lack of other good relievers. But you know Baker being the third guy is just a little bit weak for it for a team that's right on the verge of of winning, and uh, and they 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 would love to have another another arm there. They, they to my way of thinking that that's a reasonable thing to go after at the trade deadline. Josh Hader, a name that. Wouldn't be cheap, but maybe he's a guy you go out and try and get. Yeah, I would. I would not be surprised if that was a thing. You know, everyone says starting pitching, starting pitching, and yeah, mm-hmm. I think they could go after one of those as well. But I, I don't think another bullpen arm would hurt yeah. at all. I, I currently, I, I just love the Orioles starters right now, and they're all they're in kind of a role as a group, obviously. But they've mowed through this very difficult part of the the schedule, and by and large, done very well. Yeah, I think. They got off to a slow start, and luckily that was the weak part of the schedule. But, yeah, I think it's a little bit overblown. I think we're probably middle of the road when it comes to to starters, ERA. And Grayson Rodriguez, obviously he's got the talent. He's going to get mm-hmm. better. Tyler Wells, a 3.47 ERA. Bradish, 4.34. Kramer, who had a terrible start, is 5-1 and one with a 4.61. And, and Gibson, the veteran who is one of the few you can rely on to get into that sixth, seventh inning more consistently than not, 3.82 ERA after last night's great game. So, yeah, you could certainly do worse. And with the bullpen on top of it that's been pretty good as well, yeah, that's where the success comes from. Right. I, I'd just be – I'm, I'm leery of going out at the trade deadline and trying to pick up a Giolito or another guy who's just marginally better than the guys they have. I just I, – honestly, that's the truth. And I know but Giolito has much more in terms of major league success, but he won't come at a super cheap price, although he better come at a pretty cheap price for a half-year rental. There are a, another few guys like that. Um, I don't know how much control Dylan Cease has left, but he's usually mentioned if it's a year and a half of team control, then that's a that's a big pricey. Uh, yeah, I think okay. it is. I think Cease, Burns, Bieber, those are all guys with one and a half years if you acquire them at the uh at the halfway mark and yeah that's going to probably be pretty expensive even though burns is struggling a bit this year Mm -hmm. obviously he's got a Cy Young on his on his shelf so not going to be cheap yeah Giolito maybe they will just because it wouldn't cost as much go after him but like you said how much better is he ultimately going to be than who we already have unless you're thinking you know Tyler Wells Grayson Rodriguez those guys are going to have to limit their innings at some point maybe he can help offset that and John Means is coming back as well, uh, hopefully July. You know, we'll see how healthy and, and effective he is when he first comes back. Yeah. There's, I, there's some ways they could still improve. Yeah, so a great point with Means. And, and we don't know who he'll be when he comes back. But also uh, um, uh, Cole Irvin potentially could get another chance in the rotation. I think the, the likelihood of that happening is mostly based on him being left-handed. I don't think there's anything we've seen so far that says this is a guy you got to give another chance to, but he has pitched pretty well at Rochester. That's yeah, at Rochester. Sure. At, yeah, at Rochester. That's old school, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. He's been well, he hasn't walked guys down there like he did to start the year. I think he figured out whatever was going on with his, his command, but he's still, you know, he's a guy that's kind of like a left-handed version of Cal Gibson where He'll give you innings, not dominant innings, but he's been good down there. So he's a good guy. If you need a, a spot start or someone goes down with an injury for, for a few weeks, you bring him up and not lose too much sleep over it. There are always a lot of teams that are like the Orioles, and they're often among the contenders with a lot of big left-handed bats and fewer big right-handed bats. And you know, you, you, you certainly want to counter that with some left-handed pitching or at least have the option to do so. So if they're looking ahead towards the postseason and, and who they might face there, um trying to think about who the who the really you know the yankees obviously have some right-handed bats they also have some left-handed bats toronto has you know bichette and guerrero i'm trying to think of who else but they have some left-handed bats too uh but there are teams out there who they're going to want to i i don't how are the texas rangers built i don't i don't know nothing about them they have Corey seager that's mm-hmm. a big lefty um marcus simeon mostly righties as well but yeah there's definitely a few lefties in there and the the fun part with this Orioles team is if we actually do get into the playoffs and it's like you can count on more specialty players 
you can bring up a guy like Cade Povich, who's in double A right now, who has excellent stuff. And no one has the video or the book on him yet. Just come in for him to be a relief option as a lefty. And, and you can play around with play around with things like that. So the more uh, this goes on, the more excited I get about potential playoff scenario. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting that, that now the model is that um, uh, you often will bring up a guy for the postseason for his first activity. I mean, there's been what now, what, three or four occurrences of that? Uh, obviously one very notable one, yeah. but, but for the long history of uh, minor or major league baseball for, for uh, most of my youth, there's only one player, one player ever had more innings pitched in the, in the postseason than in the major league regular season at any point during the history of baseball. And that was Ken Brett who came up and, and pitched in the 67 postseason for the Red Sox. So, it's it's just interesting that this this could happen this year, and I would love to see Povich, uh, you know, coming in in the in the uh, in the postseason and, and getting his first shot. Let's keep moving here. We're we're kind of dogging it here, but I'm loving this conversation, Bob. So I really appreciate you taking the time with us. Uh, Chris Valamont, another guy who uh, hanging around now, AAA high school draft pick way back in 2016. Uh, I think that's no, no, that's not even true. He he played in in the he played in he played college ball. But anyway, now 26 years old, what do you have to say about him? Yeah, he was another savvy waiver claim from Elias and Company. I think it was early on last year where he was just a guy. I think he was either with the Marlins and then the Twins or vice versa. And they just couldn't get that control again under under control, I guess. <laughs> That's a mm-hmm. easier to say. Um, and the Orioles said we'll take a shot on him especially at the time you know they had room on the 40 man and he pitched pretty well especially in double a last year when he got to triple a he hit a little bit of a a speed bump and then actually over the offseason he was removed from the 40 man roster but stayed in the organization and triple a has not been as challenging so far this year for him 37 in a third innings got 44 strikeouts only 18 walks for for him that's pretty good 2.65 era so a guy, another big arm that can come in, strike out batters, and just depends how many he's going to walk is how good he's going to be. Probably not a starting pitching prospect anymore, but for another, like we've been talking about, uh, high upside arm out of the bullpen, he's, an, he's an, another name to keep an eye on. Yeah. So Orioles definitely have, and injuries will eventually hit. They're having to give second chances to some pitchers right now who, boy, I don't know. I don't know what to do about it, but it, it doesn't look like Michael Givens has much left from what I've seen at the major league level. I just don't see an out pitch there anymore. Uh, I see an arm slot that a lot of hitters aren't used to, but I don't see an out pitch. Yeah, I wonder how much that knee is still bothering him. It just seems like I don't know. Even last year, I feel like he was another mile or two faster with velocity than he is this year. Yeah, not the not the best sign early on. We'll see if they let him figure it out or if he goes back on the IL or what, but. Yeah, um, I liked the signing at the time, but I don't know right now. So he he had an, uh, a length of an IL a rehab assignment he could do before they had to DFA him. But uh, Tate, on the other hand, is a guy they brought to the end of his rehab assignment. I believe he's through it now, and he's going to be optioned because he's still on his option. I, I assume he'll be optioned because he hasn't figured it out yet in the minor leagues. Yeah, he's he's struggled a, a quite a bit. His velocity's down too. His is a an elbow injury, so hopefully he doesn't need Tommy John even after rehabbing and and going through, you know, playing in the minors to try to come back up. I would imagine they option him as well, or or else he would already been added back to the roster. So mm-hmm. that's too bad because the way he pitched a couple of years ago, it'd be fantastic to have that arm out there. Uh, Drew Rom, talk about him a little bit. Yeah, he's he's kind of like. I'd say he's a slightly, if not more than slightly better version of that soft tossing lefty that the Orioles have kind of played around with more of a Duquette thing that Elias had tried to develop with Zach Lothar, um, Alexander Wells, Keegan Aiken at one point, although he throws a little bit harder, but Drew Rahm is like probably the best version of that that we've seen best chance of making it. He had a really bad start yesterday that kind of blew up his numbers a little bit, his ERA, but he's had a good season before that. Um, he's going to strike out more batters than innings pitched. He's going to walk not too many. He can drop his arm slot down. He sits like 91 to 93. He's got four pitch mix. Um, again, 
I don't know if he's going to be a back-end starter or more of a bullpen option, but just another another talented arm. All right. He's one of the things I look at and I'm, I'm concerned about with his record. He's given up more than a hit and many for a lot of his minor league career. Whereas most of the guys we're talking about, particularly those who walk a few guys, they don't give up anywhere near a hit and inning. So uh, anything about that concern you at this point? I mean, yeah, he's not, he's not a guy that's going to blow you away. He's more like trying to get weak contact. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like one of those guys that kind of like a Cole Irvin, maybe there, it's like maybe better off as a starting pitcher than a relief pitcher mm-hmm. just because I don't know. He's, he is, he's gritty out there. He will not be afraid to go long in the games. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm uh, f- having a hard time finding a reason why he would excel in the bullpen over the rotation, but at the same time, I'm having a hard time finding space for him in the rotation. Right. Fair enough. Um, but, but there's, I think, I think I understand the point you're making. Maybe I'll try and restate it here is that when you have a, um, a player who's on the border of really outstanding velocity and maybe one other great out pitch, particularly, um, that guy, if you limit his innings, uh, or sorry, limit his pitches per outing to 20 or 25, gives him a chance to really juice up the velocity as high as it'll get. And that's where some of these great relievers come from. They aren't necessarily there. They were okay starting pitchers who kind of failed at that because they, they didn't have outstanding stuff. And got a lot of guys, and really this goes to back to Zach Britton was a guy who, who honestly had much more as a reliever than he could as a starter. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I was trying to say. And even, even with Mike Bauman, I feel like you're seeing that now yeah. where he's pumping 97 to 99, whereas he was a two pitch pitcher basically as a starter and, and it wasn't working out for him because he couldn't throw as hard you know, over longer innings. All right. Uh, let's talk about the rest of this uh, minor league four a stuff. And maybe I, I'd like, we'll, we'll shortcut this a little bit and maybe just give me a grade um, a to F on how much each of these players might be able to help the Orioles during the 2022 season. So we'll start with Irvin. C plus. Okay, that's good. Uh, Watkins. C minus. Okay, you're being nice. I can tell already <laughs> from this. Zimmerman. D plus. D plus. Okay, Watson. This season probably a C minus, but I, I I like him a little bit long term. Okay, outstanding. Now we get to some of the guys who really might help this year. Vespi. A B. B. Okay. Could definitely a left-handed guy. Aiken. B minus. He's okay. had, he's obviously he struggled a little bit to start the year, but he's been pretty dominant down in, in AAA since he got sent back down. But Gillespie. C plus. I think he's got good stuff. He's just got, there's, I think it's mental something with the major leagues. He's got to figure out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crable. D minus. Okay. No, really no hope for Crayball. Okay. That's interesting. Cause he, he's certainly one of the guys who's been at the major level and been effective in the past. Uh, how about Tate? Dylan Tate. Uh, Tough call this, for this year, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I'll say D plus. That's only fair. Now, what would you have said about Cano at the beginning of this year? Hmm. <laughs> I might've said D plus or C minus, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, outstanding. We've talked about Norfolk a little bit. I'll tell you what we're going to come back. We're going to come back and we'll have a part two of this show and we'll record that right away if you're good with that, Bob, and talk about the prospects at the other level. Still a lot to talk about, but just a great discussion with Bob. Tell folks where they can find your work online. Yeah, uh, search anywhere you get your podcast, BSL on the Verge. You should find us there. We have a Patreon where we do bonus episodes and daily recaps of the minor leagues and bonus shows and monthly top 50 updates. So check us out on Patreon and on Twitter at BSO on the Verge, where we post highlights every day and and all that kind of good stuff. And I'm on Twitter at the Oriole Report. At the Oriole Report. Okay, outstanding, Bob. Just great conversation having you here uh, to talk Orioles. Uh, My background is is originally in baseball, and and, uh, I I miss it a lot, but I I really love the football stuff now as well. There's room for a lot of analysis that wasn't going on. Uh, you know, 15 years ago. But anyway, uh, if you'd like to be on a film study short, uh, lots of opportunity to talk Ravens with me. 
uh, or Orioles for that matter. I'm going to do a few more crossover episodes because these have been popular and I've really enjoyed them. And that's enough, actually, uh, for me just to enjoy them, even if they're not popular, frankly. (laughs) Um, But but I'd love to hear from you uh, if you want to talk GM stuff either side. Again, Orioles or or Ravens. Uh, If you want to do that one play for the Ravens, there's a great YouTube out there, the 200 greatest plays in Ravens history that probably jar your memory on some great <laughs> plays if you want to do one of those. And I'd love to hear from you. DMs are always open on Twitter. I'm at Film Study Ravens, as you know. And please uh, uh, hit me up. I'll get back to you right away. Bob, thanks again for coming on. Of course. Looking forward to part two. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.